You're listening to episode 90 of the Room to Grow podcast. I'm Emily Goff, a holistic nutritionist and women's lifestyle coach living in Hamilton, Ontario in Canada. And here on the Room to Grow podcast, I bring you thoughts or guests in areas of nutrition, mindset, lifestyle, and entrepreneurship that will help you gain confidence so you can stress less and elevate yourself to create the life you love. We are not here to do things perfectly, but we are here to learn from each other and to grow with lots of self-love and compassion along the way. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to the Room to Grow podcast. Emily here, and today's guest is, this interview is just jam-packed with info on sleep. We are talking to Christine Hansen, who is a sleep expert to CEOs, executives, athletes, and high achievers who want to sleep but can't. Christine is a number one Amazon bestselling author for her book, Sleep Like a Boss, The Guide to Sleep for Busy Bosses, and an award-winning entrepreneur as well. She's the creator of the five-step sleep like a boss process, focusing on sleep foundations, gut health, thyroid issues, nutrition, and hormones that help people to fall and stay asleep without having to rely on sleeping pills And I absolutely love how much she combines emotional lifestyle and biochemical stress management in bespoke programs for her clients that help them to transform their sleep forever. Her knowledge is absolutely going to come across in every way. I could have talked to her all day long about sleep. As we were talking, I kept having five or 10 more questions pop up that I wanted to discuss with her. And you're going to get to listen in on this incredible conversation. We go really deep into so much more than just basic lifestyle changes. We talk about how perfectionistic tendencies can negatively impact our sleep. We talk about handling sleep as a parent with young children or infants which is so problematic in terms of sleep for so many people and some of the routines that you can put into place that will actually help. We talk about whether or not sleep trackers are a good idea. I loved her answer on that. Uh, We talk about the sleep app that will absolutely revolutionize how you travel and deal with jet lag. That was amazing. And things like even sleep guilt and feeling like you need to be a morning person rather than figuring out your natural rhythms and working with them. We even get into the best ways to nap, including a super secret hack that Christine uses with her clients to help them from feeling groggy afterwards. I was blown away. You are absolutely going to love hearing from Christine. She has so much amazing information to share and please make sure to go and check her out. All of the things listed in this episode will all be over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. So you can go and connect with Christine and thank her for all of her time and efforts that she put into this interview. It was such a blast and I can't wait to get started. I am over the moon excited to have Christine Hansen with us today. Christine, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Emily. It's such a pleasure to be here. I cannot wait to have a chat and, you know, to help you and your audience sleep like a boss. <laughs> oh my gosh. We all need to sleep like a boss. So I, I am so excited about this topic because I just love your approach. I really appreciate the holistic perspective that you take. And I just, I have so many, I had to actually like stop myself from writing too many thoughts this day. I'm like, okay, let's just see how the conversation goes. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, about you and some background on yourself, kind of how you ended up doing what you're doing today. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I don't have the typical story, you know, where I had sleep issues. Um, but I do have a character trait that a lot of my clients have too. And that is that when I really get fired up about something, I get a, I have perfectionism tendencies in a lot of things I don't, but sometimes I do. And one of the things that triggered me into that perfectionist mode was when I was pregnant and everyone was telling me that I would never sleep again. And I need my sleep. Like if I have one sleep cycle missing, which is around 45 minutes, my whole day is impacted. And I'm not a baby person, so I had no idea what was going to happen once I had this baby. And it really freaked me out because I thought, this is going to be hard enough. If I have to do this sleep deprived, it's going to be you know, just horrible. And everyone around me was like zombie mama. And I just heard all of these horror stories. And so that's what really got me into sleep. I really started to try to prepare as much as I could, research sleep and it really started this love affair. And my first business was then when I started to become an entrepreneur was 
a baby sleep consultant, but you know, I don't like babies. So that didn't work out. <laughs> and, um, but the topic was just so interesting and I had so many adults coming to me talking about sleep issues and kind of not really finding anyone who could help them in terms that either they would go to their regular practitioner and it would be here at your sleeping pills and just exercise a little bit and, you know, just meditate a little bit, or it would be, you know, maybe just cognitive behavior therapy maybe, or, you know, just meditation and just lifestyle changes. And it was not quite enough. And that's what triggered me the most. So I really started researching even more added functional diagnostics to um, my repertoire, where, which allows me to run lab tests and nutritional therapy. And it was through seeing all of these things that I could see the different strings that affect sleep. And I really realized that sleep is not like a lung or a kidney. It's not just physiological. It's really a combo of psychological and physiological. And so it's really combining those two things that you get the best results. And that's really how I work. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I'm so happy you brought up um, when you're pregnant. I mean, everyone knows this. It's kind of, I don't even have kids. And, and it's the first thought that pops into my head when I think about either having my own or <laughs> if friends of mine get pregnant, I'm like, oh, there goes your sleep. Yeah. And, <laughs> <It's stressful>. yeah. <laughs> and everyone defines your baby according to how they sleep. It's like the first question. It's not even if it's, if it's a boy or a girl, it's like, do they sleep well? <laughs> so it's That's like, so this, true. I never even thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> how does she sleep? It's like, she's healthy. Thank you. She has <laughs> 10 toes and 10, you know, 10 fingers and she's sleeping in a <laughs> So my baby slept when she was nine weeks old. I always brag about that. But um, <laughs> but you really do get defined a little bit by how your baby sleeps. It's it's a, it, it's an interesting world, this new mama world. Like, not my world, but <laughs> it's an interesting mm-hmm. one. Well, how do you, I mean, do you have sort of some advice? Obviously, this would vary on the individual situation, the, the age of, of the child, all of these different things. But mm. do you have some advice for parents about sleep especially mm. those with like infants or younger kids yeah i think the one the one thing that i see over and over and over and over and over again or have seen in the past when i still worked as a baby sleep consultant which i don't do anymore so don't talk to me it's like don't <laughs> get in touch with me for that but it is that people rarely understand how quickly our little ones are tired um and so overtiredness is what i see most of the time happening And with children and especially babies, what happens is if they miss that window where they are comfortably tired, they get a cortisol rush and cortisol is like a stress hormone and it's like adrenaline. And so they start to get super cranky and it's like they're tired, but their whole body is keeping them awake and then it's impossible to have them go to sleep. And so a lot of the time we underestimate how tired they actually are. And so my biggest tip is always, as soon as you see the first sleep signal, which means just rubbing their eyes or staring into the void or even yawning, you know, as soon as you see one of those, get ready to have them lie down for a nap or to go down, you know, for the night. And very often for small ones, that's 6.30, 7pm. So my little one, she's now five. We, our bedtime is still around 7.30, 7, 7.30. And a lot of children go to bed a lot, a lot later, but have to get up at six, seven because, you know, that's when we get up to work. And so it's just not enough sleep. And um, it's very hard, especially if you work and you come home, you know, around six, seven, you just still want to get time in. But that I found was the hardest bit and one of the hardest bits to work with parents on. Um, but that's definitely the number one thing. Mm, yeah, I could absolutely see that. I remember my mom telling me stories of, of when I was a kid, if she let me get overtired, that then I would start having uh, terrible nightmares too. She could barely get me down as it was. And then when I did finally get down, I would just wake up screaming blue murder. And, and she knew that it only usually ever happened when I was so overtired mm. when I went to bed. It's so interesting how, how our bodies function that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's just, kids are very sensitive to that. And so they, they get super wound up. And for me, if they're like the Tasmanian devil, you kind of butched it for that night already. <laughs> so, and it happens. It's fine. You know, not every night can be perfect, but just watch out for those signals. Well, and overall, it, the feeling that I get is that both children and adults, especially when it comes to sleep, seem to function best on routine. Is that, would you say mm-hmm. that's accurate? 
Yeah. So our brain is super, super complex, but it's also really, really simple. And I like to remind people of autopilot. So when you have, for example, the same journey to your job place or workplace every day and your brain goes on autopilot when you're in the car and you don't even remember how you got there or, you know, when you walk somewhere and you don't remember anything about the journey that you took just because your brain knows exactly what to do and where to go. And it's the same for sleep. If you have a routine, your brain is just, you know, that trigger is just like dominoes and your brain will more easily start to get into the sleep mode because sleep is not an on and off switch. It's really like shifting gears and going from the highest to the lowest until your park, which is sleep. And you need to give your brain a little bit of time. And some people are really good at that. Some people are overtired, so they pass out literally. And some people need a little bit more time and they are more sensitive to it. So if they had, for example, a super exciting Zumba class with super bright lights, bright music and got pumped up, it might be more difficult for them to wind down again. Right? So that's very, very personal. Um, and it really depends on different people. But in general, a routine can't hurt. Mm, okay, that makes a lot of sense. It, the other thing that I find sometimes too, it, just for myself personally, is I'll get a second wind. So around 10 o'clock, mm -hmm. I'll start to get sleepy. And then yeah. if I push through it, then it's like, yes. I'm wide awake at midnight. And I'm like, oh, I'll just keep going. And then yeah. no, <laughs> I'm after the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I find that is more typical for adults. And we, if we were actually to just listen to our body, we'd be tired a lot earlier. We would naturally fall asleep around 9, 9.30, most of us, simply because we are constructed to go with dark and light, you know. So even in summer when it's getting darker later, it's usually around 10. And I find that is 9, 9.30 is usually when I naturally get a super, super low. Uh, and when I go to sleep, then it's when I have my best sleep. It also means that I wake up earlier. But if I push through, I do get that second wind too. And I'm like good till midnight at least, you know. So um, that's definitely, definitely true. It, it's individual, of course, it always is, but it is a pattern that I see a lot. Yeah, I can imagine, especially I feel like with the kinds of people that you often work with that you were describing before, which is very much me, like entrepreneur, um, kind of type A, very pr perfectionist, you know, you're, you're in a good groove and you just want to keep going. And you're yeah. like a little bit longer. <laughs> That's really yeah. hard to kind of cut yourself yes. off sometimes. <laughs> it totally is. And I, I mean, I, not everyone needs to have like a bad conscience, you know, if you generally sleep well, it's not a problem. If you have a couple of nights, you know, where you just cheat, I do it too. You know, when I just figured something out and I love doing my stuff on my own, like I love tech. And so if I just figured something out in my WordPress site that I can install, like I go crazy. But in general, I think if you have sleep issues, um, finding that natural window where you go naturally, you know, into that sleep mode is going to be a lot of help. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it's, when you mentioned too about um, when you go to bed earlier, then obviously typically you will wake up earlier. I I have sleep guilt sometimes. I feel like <laughs> it's sort of feeling like I should be up super early, and and I actually really enjoy being up super early. But sometimes that works against me because then even if I go to bed too late, I'll still set mm -hmm. the alarm early because I'm like, oh, I, I actually really enjoy early morning. But then I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm not as productive the next day, and then. When I do sleep in, I usually feel guilty, lazy, unproductive, <laughs> like all of these yeah. things, even if your day is still going to be totally. the same length of time, essentially, you're just starting it later. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think we, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're so lucky because you don't have a nine to five, right? Mm -hmm. So what I really, really, like, I hate this trend that is every year you have some person, often a celebrity or, you know, a well-known entrepreneur who does this experiment of getting up at 4 a.m. every morning. And yeah. it's really interesting to me because this is not meant in a, in a negative way, but a lot of the time <laughs> these people are either not having, because we talk about the, way, the room to grow, usually they only have to focus on themselves, right? So they don't have family or kids, or if they do, they have a wife who takes care of them. Um, or they don't have kids. So it is doable. But I really don't like this trend because you are the most productive when you are in flow, which means 
you always have a certain time in the day that suits you, where your energy goes up. And you should really, really see where your natural sleep is happening. So where your circadian rhythm, your biological clock works the best. So for example, for me, I work best between 10, 10, 30 and 2. So I very often don't have lunch at 12, but I will have it at two because I get most work done in those three hours. It doesn't even make sense for me to sit at my desk for six or eight hours because I get more done if I focus on those three hours because my brain is just super, super focused. Some people will be early morning rises naturally and they will have their flow in the morning but they will not be productive in the afternoon some people will be not productive at all in the morning and they will be super super hyped in late afternoon or even evening and if you can create your own schedule go with what you know is your best flow zone because if you get up at 4 a.m your brain and your brain is not, you know, meant to do that. It is like a cold engine. It's never, ever going to focus you, going to give you the same focus and strength that it would if you naturally respected its flow time. So you can force your body into all kinds of things. And it's super interesting because there's no mammal in the world that is consciously sleep depriving itself. None, except for humans. So I don't really necessarily think it's a sign of intelligence if you do that. Mm -hmm. so, and I get really fired up about this because I think it's macho, macho talk. It's complete nonsense, especially if you're still tired um, because not getting enough sleep is just making your plane stupid. And I don't think anyone wants to be that way. So I don't like that attitude at all. On the other hand, you also have people who have the opposite problem, who really desperately want to get eight hours sleep and they don't necessarily need it. So making it clear that there's only 2% in the population who needs less than six hours of sleep. And if they do, it's because they have a genetic defect. So don't kid yourself. You won't notice that you're sleep deprived, but you are most likely if you get less than six hours of sleep. Having said that, you don't need eight. It might be that you just need six or six and a half. So I have people who go to bed super early, but then wake up in the middle of the night and then you know are awake and then stress out. And so sometimes for them, I will actually tell them to go to bed later in order to just condense that sleep to what they actually need. So it's, it's really about figuring out what is your natural like hour, like how much sleep do you actually need? And then also, when is the best time for you to be focused? And everyone knows it. So, and if you can design your day around it, all the better. Sometimes it's not possible, but if you can, really don't feel guilty when you sleep in. I sleep in every day when I can. Unfortunately, at the moment, I can't because I have to get my little one to school. But when I can, I get up notoriously late, but I know that I get shitloads done <laughs> when I sit down in my flow zone. You know, so, and I think it's old fashioned to think that you need to be present for a certain amount of hours. It's just not true. It's really about what you get done when you're in the flow zone. I couldn't agree more. And I, oh my gosh, I have so many questions from, from what you just said. One <laughs> question that came up is, can we, can we make ourselves into morning people? Because, no. okay, that's, that's good. Because <laughs> I see so many people talking about this and they're like, you know, it's basically that it's like about practice, like that I, I can turn myself into a morning person and people are excited when they manage to do that for themselves or they think that they do. So I'd you love can, to hear more of that. <laughs> you can condition yourself. Yeah. I mean, I naturally wake up at 6am now because I do that every day in order to be on time to get my daughter to school. Doesn't mean that I'm a morning person. As soon as I don't have that schedule, I fall back into my natural rhythm and that's genetic. So no. You can't. Okay. Okay. You can make that's it easier. Good. You can definitely make it easier by getting used to it and your body will acclimatize, but it's not your natural best state. Okay. And then in terms of how we figure out how much sleep we need, I mean, let, yeah. let's start here. Like how much, how much sleep do we need? Obviously more than six hours. So the, easiest, the easiest way to answer that is that when you go to bed and you easily fall asleep between 15 or 30 minutes, and you wake up and you feel super energized and not tired. That's your amount of sleep. So for most people, when they ask me that question, the, way, the best way to find out is actually on holiday. 
when you don't need to get up and when you can go to sleep whenever you want to and actually going to sleep when you feel tired. So not necessarily staying awake for that one more glass of red wine, you know, <laughs> which you do anyway, is manipulating your sleep. So ideally having, not having alcohol for a few days and going to bed when you naturally feel tired and waking up and you feel well rested. That is your, those hours. If you do that for one week at least, that should easily be enough. You will notice that there's a consistency. That's your sweet spot. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. And it's obviously going to vary a little bit by person. Like you said too, I mean, some people will maybe function best with seven hours. Some might need, you know, nine. Is there, uh, we know, we know what is too little, but what is potentially too much too? So a lot of the time people say that if it's, it's nine and a half. So if you, you have nine and a half or more and you still feel super tired, then there's something going on. And what might be going on might be that it's chronic fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic fatigue syndrome. It might be your thyroid. It might be other hormones that are happening. It might be an inflammation that is kicking your butt. You know, it's different reasons. Um, but that might not that might not even have to do with your sleep. You know, so. Um, but after nine and a half, I would go and investigate. Okay. Okay. So it's good to know. And it's funny you mentioned, um, about kind of what, like waking up well rested, because when I was doing more nutrition work, something I would often ask people was what does well rested feel like to you? And it was the one question that consistently <laughs> stumped people. They could yeah. not come yeah. up with a response yeah. as to what well rested felt like, which I think is so telling about how zombie like a lot of us oh, yeah. are that we don't even recognize it anymore. Exactly. And people can get used to a lot. And I mean, I had one of the first interviews that I did was very interestingly early in my career with Jean-Louis Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. And we talked about sleep and he told me about his, um, his time in the army and how they, you know, were chronically sleep deprived and he was, you know, you're so used to it and you function. But when he got back home, and he finally managed to, he had to basically learn to let go and sleep again. He just realized that he had been living in a constant kind of fog-like state and he had completely forgotten what it actually feels like to not be chronically tired. And that is what happens to a lot of us. And it's interesting because if we don't sleep for 17 hours or as of 18 hours, you have the same cognitive function as if you had a 0.5 alcohol level. And if it's more than that, you know, it goes up and up and up. So they did an experiment where they sleep deprived um, people for two days. And obviously their cognitive function was really impaired. They gave them little exercises to do. And they had another study group who they woke up every night after six hours for two weeks. And what was interesting was that in the beginning, they performed much better than the people who had been sleep deprived for two days. But after 10 days their cognitive performance dropped to the same level as to the first group. But the difference was that they didn't notice. The first group, after two days, they felt stupid. Like they were literally super tired and they were like, okay, I can't think. But the other group was still under the impression that they were doing just as well as they had all the days before. But the exercises that they performed were really showing how much they were lacking in focus and in concentration. And so that is what I find that most of our population is living in that state of thinking and not knowing that they are actually leaving a lot of intellect on the table. Um, and that is, you know, what I find super scary and is sad because you have people with so much potential and they are actually, you know, not performing to their best because they are just, you know, sleep deprived, chronically sleep deprived. That is incredibly scary. Actually, when you think about that, I mean, you know, how, how many of us are missing out on the gifts that all of these people could be offering mm -hmm. the world in general if, if they were able to function at their highest level and how many of us are experiencing that same thing? That's mm -hmm. really frightening, actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's always a difference whether you consciously sacrifice sleep, whether it is a time management issue or whether you want to sleep but you can't. You know, so I, I find there's a lot of different categories of people dealing with this issue. Okay. And what about something like napping? So as you were talking about the study too, I was thinking about, you know, when that happens in mm -hmm. everyday life, yeah. that some people hate napping because they say that it actually makes them more groggy. 
-hmm. and some people love napping and will grab Mm -hmm. a nap whenever they can. But I know there's also a little bit of a science to it as well in terms of like (laughs) timing and time of day and how long you let yourself nap. Like I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So I love napping, especially if you had a bad night, you can catch up a lot of energy during napping. And we naturally have a dip around 2, 3 a.m. That's why a lot of people recommend napping around that time. And the trick is not to fall into deep sleep. So you want to stay in a pretty light sleep, maybe dream a little bit um, and then get out again. So it's between 20, 30 minutes. Um, And the thing is that you don't need to fall asleep. A lot of people find it borderline stressing because they don't fall asleep. And that's not what it's about. It could be that you're just resting, that you just give your body the time to recuperate. And because it has this natural dip, it is going to rejuvenate a lot more efficiently. So that's what, why I love it. And you can actually have a nap on steroids if you combine it with caffeine, which is something that I like to sometimes suggest my clients who have meetings in the afternoon. And basically caffeine takes a while to kick in or to really block your adenosine, which is basically helping to prevent getting even more tired. So um, when you have like an espresso shot, you put some ice cubes in it, you have it cool down, you have your shot, you have your 20 minute nap and your nap is helping you to rejuvenate and the caffeine is keeping you from getting more tired. So you will have a really, really great combo for a couple of hours after that, really improving your cognitive performance. So that's something I really like. Oh, that's fascinating. I never would have thought of that in a thousand years. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And then what about people? Well, actually, you know, let's kind of talk about the sleep cycle a little bit, because I know that there's, you know, the the REM cycle and that typically is is a full sleep cycle about, is it an hour and a half? Yeah, exactly. So a newborn has a sleep cycle that's 45 minutes. Okay. Um, And that's why if when you have a newborn, they will wake up after pretty much exactly 45 minutes. And then it's the challenge is to have them connect their sleep cycles. And some babies are just really great at doing that. And some have a hard time. Um, but you can ask any new (laughs) parent, 45 minutes is the magic number. And then those sleep cycles just grow longer and longer until they have 90 minutes, which is more or less, you know, what is an adult sleep cycle? And each sleep cycle has different phases and we differentiate between light sleep, REM sleep, and deep sleep. And you have around four to five sleep cycles, which is where this magical seven and a half hour of sleep is coming from, right? That's usually statistically what most people do and statistically what the time would be if you add it up. Um, every phase has a different length of these phases or of the, every cycle has a different length of these three different phases. So in one, you have more REM sleep, in another one, you have more light sleep, and then in another one, you have more deep sleep. And deep sleep is actually in the first one is the longest. Which is why you also have, you know, this this saying that the most important sleep is between 10 and 12 doesn't necessarily need to be. It's not according to the time. It's more that it's the first cycle that's important because your body is smart. It's taking what it needs. And most of your physical restoration happens in deep sleep. So it's going to prioritize and it's going to say, okay, the first, most people, you know, will have at least one sleep cycle. So we're going to focus all our energy to get you know, most reparation, rejuvenation, everything of that done in the first sleep cycle. And then REM sleep is longer towards the end of the night, early morning. And REM sleep is really important for your psychology. It's where you deal with issues that didn't make sense. You deal with things that made you sad, with problems that you couldn't solve. So a lot of creative issues or even logical issues are often solved in dreams. And it's also when you are upset where you feel better the next day. So with dreams, it's basically where your brain fires all of these triggers that it couldn't deal with during the day or didn't quite understand. And it spins them into a narrative. And sometimes it's a really weird one, but it really helps us to deal with stuff. And I find that when I work with my clients, a lot of the time they tell me that they hadn't been dreaming in years. And when we finish working together, they're like, one of the things that has come back to me is dreaming. And it's, it's really nice to see that. That is fascinating. That's so interesting to me. And it's, it's funny you say that as well, because I didn't even connect the dots until you said it. But typically when I do dream, it's usually 
right before I wake up in the morning. And I didn't realize that that was part of kind of how the sleep cycles function. That's really interesting. Yeah. And everyone dreams. Um, some people say like, I don't dream. They do. But the difference is the time span between dreaming and waking up the light sleep span. If you have a very short light sleep span, you will remember your dreams better. If that span is a little bit longer, you will have forgotten. So it's not that they didn't dream. It's just that that light sleep in between was a little bit longer, but everyone is dreaming. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's dig into kind of the emotional side behind sleep a little bit more because that can prevent people from sleeping a lot as well. If we're talking, you know, about like grief or heartbreak or Mm -hmm. um, anything like that, that can cause a lot of sleep issues Mm -hmm. and just totally disrupt. Like I've certainly been there where, where if I was in one of those states, I, I don't even, you know, I I can't sleep very well. Then I'm just kind of like catching naps here and there when I can, and it just totally messes it up. But then it's sort of a forward feed cycle too, because when you get stuck in that, it's harder to break out of it. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And it's why I love going digging, right? So the people I work with are usually very type A kind of reserved simply because they work in an environment where it's, you know, eat or be eaten. You know, it's like a lot of competition and it's just not always a nice environment to be in and to show weaknesses most of all. So I love going digging and seeing what is keeping you actually awake. And a lot of the time there are obvious triggers, but a lot of the time they're not as obvious. So what we tend to do is that we tend to kind of compartmentalize a lot of things that are triggering us during the day. And those can be small things, but they can also be, you know, more serious things, but we just don't have the time or we can't get out of focus. So let's imagine a scenario where you have a presentation or something like that in front of, you know, the board, and then someone just made a comment about it, or someone just said something that really upset you. You don't have time to think about that, to dwell on that, because you need to have your your game on in order to, you know, do your presentation. So you just push it away. Those are things that tend to come back up in the evening. Little things like that. Or it could just be someone stole your car park, your parking space, and you just could really live it because you are tired and you just don't have a tolerance. And it's just, you know, it's just this little drop on top of your fatigue that is just, you know, making you go bananas. And what I always suggest, and that works like with 80% of my clients really, really well is to have a little journal where you, as soon as you can write down whatever has triggered you and it doesn't need to be long. It can just be one word. It can be in any language that you want. If you want to curse, you can curse. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's ever going to read it, but it just helps you to transfer that anger and those thoughts onto paper and because the writing is a different neurological mechanism it just helps you to process it better and it keeps you from bottling up for nighttime because when we are quiet and it's dark, we have nothing else to do and our brain has nothing else to do than to say, hey, you neglected this and this and this and this during the day, so let's deal with it now. And that's when you know monkey mind is starting to come in. And so my tip is really to take care of it during the day and just take, yeah, kind of take the trash out during the day so that you don't have an overfilled you know, trash can in the evening that's just like stinking up your, your happy place. <laughs> you know? So that's one thing that I, I really like doing. Meditation works as well. And I always need to reiter- reiterate that meditation is not always about not thinking anything. It's about knowing what you're thinking about and it's about acknowledging what you're thinking about and then letting it go. That's the art of it. Mm, that's so true. And and I know that, I mean, there have certainly been periods of time in my life where I'll get frustrated. I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this medication thing, this meditation thing. And just feeling as though it's it's causing even more stress almost. But yeah. then, yeah, it is. It's also called a practice for a reason as well. Exactly. It's something that you have to keep doing over time, right? Yeah. And it's just about, I tell my clients, it's like, you know, you have this thought coming in in a bubble And it's not about, oh, no, you're not supposed to be here. It's more about, oh, interesting that I've been thinking about you. Why might I be doing that? And then it's like, okay, I see you, I acknowledge you, and I'll be dealing with you later. And then letting that bubble just float off and see if it comes back later or not. You know, so it's not necessarily about banishing everything. It's more about being conscious about what your brain is trying to tell you. I like that analogy about the bubble, actually. That's, that's a good way of, of kind of thinking about it. And what about people who 
have difficulty either falling asleep or staying asleep. That, those can be two very different issues, but I'm curious as to yeah. what you feel most like. Of, yeah, most of the time there are two different types of people and sometimes it's a combo of both. But um, if they only have issues falling asleep, I tend to concentrate a little bit more on the stress resilience coaching. When they wake up at nighttime and they might even have a super quiet mind, but they have this buzz going through, it's more physiological for me. So what I find is when I work with those clients, um, I run my lab tests on all of my clients anyway, but what I find is that 90% of them have some inflammation going on inside of their body and that triggers a cascade of different reactions. So when you have inflammation, especially with parasites in your intestine, they are nocturnal. So they start to act up, your immune system gets triggered and one anti-inflammatory is cortisol, which is what we talked around about in the beginning with children. So cortisol is going to give you a push and it's going to give you that buzz. So very similar. And that is also when you have too much cortisol chronically, it's going to imbalance your other hormones. So one hormone that I see very often imbalanced because of that is your thyroid. So I find that a lot, a lot of my clients have thyroid issues. And then from that, because your body is trying to adjust everything, just your steroid hormones in general are often affected. So I can see that there's an imbalance in estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, all of these things. And that is when everything just goes haywire and when it's just impossible to sleep. So it's really important to me to see what is going on inside of the body, where are the different building sites that we can look at and how we can then support the body in order for it to rebalance itself because that's what it's supposed to do. And a lot of the time, these imbalances are not huge. So if you were to go and just had a regular blood test done, they would probably be in range, meaning that you are not emergency room kind of sick, but they're enough to make you feel like crap. And that's why I have so many clients who come and they're like, you know, I was told everything is fine, but I know that this is not how I'm supposed to feel because I can remember a time where I actually felt really good. And that's the crux of the matter. If you know that this is not supposed to be you, that you can feel better, then something's up. And that's when I'm getting my detective hat on and we go investigating and support the body. Mm, that's a really beautiful example of, of listening to your body too, because there's just so many of us that tend to kind of ignore that. Mm. And especially when we have other people like potentially doctors, but it could be anyone um, telling us, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong. Like I, I mm -hmm. you're fine. And, and then we just tend to ignore all of that yeah. intuition that we know that we could feel better. So that's a really important reminder, I think. Yeah. And I like to compare it when I do workshops, I have this kind of poster where you have a dashboard of a car and if you drive your car and a light pops up, you, I bet that the next day you will be at your garage or your car dealer in order to check out what is wrong with your car. Now, if we were to take that light with a symptom, usually we don't just have one light. We have like five, six, seven, more and more. And those symptoms could be that you are fatigued, even though you've been sleeping well. It could be that you have issues with your digestion. It could be that you have no sex drive. It could be that you have brain fog. It could be that you can't sleep. It could be that you have tons of allergies suddenly. It could be that you have migraines all the time. All of those things are the red lights on your dashboard. And, you know, we are incredibly lax when it comes to our health until it's super, super, super late. So when I tell that to people and I, let's compare your state of health with that car dashboard, usually it's like, whoops, actually, I've been pretty lax on myself and, you know, just been trudging on and, you know, just soldiering on and you don't want it to get too late. You know, that's just my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I think so many of us can, can relate to that about just, you know, even kind of vaguely recognizing that there's something a little bit off, but just not paying attention to it because we're letting everything else take over. And then we're surprised when something much more significant goes wrong. And mm -hmm. we're like, well, this came out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> probably not true. <laughs> exactly. Or we just think it's normal and it's not. As a healthy human being, we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to have energy. We're supposed to be horny. We're supposed to, you know, just be great, having a great life and be, you know, energized, happy. If that's not the case, something's, something's up. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the nutritional side as well. So 
Mm-hmm. What are some of the things, I mean, other than just eating lots of vegetables and, and all that <laughs> stuff, like lots of good veggies and protein and all of that, what are some of the, the things that you typically advise uh, in order to better support sleep specifically? Mm. So I don't have like a sleep diet or anything like that. Um, usually what I see is that there's two things. One of the things that I look at is to really make sure that blood sugar levels stay nicely balanced. So to have a low glycemic diet, meaning foods that are slow releasing in their sugar content, that's one thing. And the other thing that I do is that I test my clients on food sensitivities um, because a lot of my clients actually have a really healthy diet. So when people come to me, my tagline is literally for people who want to sleep but can't or for high achievers who want to sleep but can't. So usually they already have a great routine. They exercise and they have a healthy diet. So they're usually already on gluten-free or paleo or anything like that. But when we then do food sensitivity testing, sometimes we, it reveals that things that are healthy in general are just not healthy for them. So let's say I have one client who ate eggs every morning, which in general, you know, is not bad, but he was actually really sensitive to them. So every day he would launch his body into inflammation mode. Another client ate a lot of salmon and broccoli in the evening, which again, I would say, all right, you get your healthy fats, you have your green veggies steamed or great, but he was sensitive to broccoli. So again, inadvertently, he was actually making his body work overtime and creating, again, inflammation, hindering his sleep. So a lot of the time, that is super important too. And then I also look at nutritional deficiencies. So I have different evaluation ways to see what they might be deficient in. And I look at um, minerals and um, heavy metals to make sure that there's nothing blocking minerals and nutritional elements there. And then when we do all of that, usually we have everything pimped up pretty well. Mm, I really appreciate how, how you look at this from so many different angles, because I think that that's so important to just figure out what's happening throughout the body since everything is so connected. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. such a fan of that. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, I'm going to switch gears for a little bit because I want to ask you about if you suggest using any devices to use your sleep, because there's so many available these days, they have absolutely skyrocketed in popularity. And honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about having an electronic device strapped to me while I sleep, unless it's like some absolute necessary medical emergency. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I absolutely agree. I'm not pro tracking. (laughs) Um, And it's actually... It's actually been recently, there's been an article, and I don't remember where it was, that people start to have disorders due to sleep sleep trackers, and it's actually called orthosomnia. So it's pretty, it was only released in March last year. And basically what it does is that you have so many sleep trackers, and it's actually really hard to really track your sleep accurately, because we move differently. Some of us move a lot in our sleep, some of us don't. I sleep like a rock. Like I take one position and you won't see me move until the next <laughs> morning. So when I go on holiday with people who've never spent the night with me, they're like, you, you're like dead. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and other people move a lot, you know? So sleep trackers will even interpret that differently. And so I find a lot of people get really, really stressed and they will come to me and they say, I'd only had that many hours of sleep. I only had that many hours of deep sleep. I only had this much REM sleep. And I ask them, well, are you tired? And they're like, no, I feel great. And it's like, you're creating a problem here. <laughs> and I, unfortunately, even though I find that it's a really interesting, it, it's, the intention is good, I find that many, many, many times it backfires, especially if you have a tendency to be a little bit anxious and perfectionist, this can really, really backfire. So I really don't like it. And I really want everyone to get out of that <laughs> tracking. And it's because I ask people, what do you do with that data? It's like nothing. I just want to know. It's like, but what do you do with the data? Like, why is that interesting to you? It's not <laughs> if you don't feel tired, if you sleep great, you know, why? <laughs> it's just, I find it more of a source of stress than anything else. And if you're not sleeping well, you're going to know that too without a device exactly. telling you. <laughs> you don't need a tracker to tell you that you feel like crap in the morning. Right? Exactly. 
I, I'm so glad that you feel this way because I felt this way for a long time and I just keep seeing their popularity exploding. And I just, we, we as human beings have made it this far without needing a device to tell us if we're sleeping. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if you were to tell a giraffe and a giraffe doesn't sleep a lot, but if you were to tell a giraffe to check their sleep, it's like, well, what the fuck, you know, any <laughs> animal in the world would just look at, you know, why are humans doing this? Like, don't they have anything better to do with their brains? Seriously. It's like, we have so many other problems <laughs> tracking our sleep. <laughs> Definitely not one of them. So yeah, no. Well, and, and the other aspect of it is I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about light because one mm. thing I've, I've heard before, and I don't have like data to back this up, but I've heard that <laughs> even an actual pinprick of light on the underside of, of your leg. So let's say that you're, that you're laying like on your back, that even a mm -hmm. pinprick of light underneath you can be enough to disrupt your sleep cycle. Is that is that accurate? I don't know if that's true well, or not. It is true in a way that your skin absorbs light just the way that your eyes do. Okay. Right? So it is true in that aspect, yes. And some people are super, super sensitive to light, some are not. Um, and it's so again, it's personal. At the same time, it does in fact it does affect all of us. Like we are all Yes and no. <laughs> so it's just, our sleep is affected by different things. It's, it's one thing is sleep pressure and one thing is light, which is dictating our biological clock. And that biological clock can be affected by how you use light. So it's natural light, but you can also manipulate it a little bit, which is interesting when you want to prepare for jet lag, for example. But it can also, you know, in, impede your sleep inadvertently. The other thing is sleep pressure, and that is just hormonal based. And so they made experiments with people where they didn't change lights. They were in dark, 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 dark caves where there was no light at all. And they left them there, supervised, of course, for a certain amount of time. And they figured out that they would still fall into a pattern of being awake and being asleep. And interestingly, it's not 24 hours, but it's more like 25 hours that that pattern would be like. So an ideal day is more towards 25 than 24 hours. But so it's, it's two different elements that are impacting our sleep. But for light, it does impact all of us. And it's just also a question of sensitivity. And um, one question I get a lot is blue light. And the thing is that everything we see, every color we see, is due to its frequency that hits our eye, right? The way that we interpret it then. And blue is the shortest frequency of all the colors. And if you have artificial blue light, especially from LED, it has a very, very short frequency, which means that it's very harsh on our eye and it can interrupt the production or the way that we absorb melatonin. And melatonin is responsible to trigger our body to get ready for sleep. So that's why you have all the blue light blocking glasses, why you shouldn't look at screens. It's basically because it can confuse your body. Some people are more tolerant to it than others. But again, if you have sleep issues and if you have problems falling asleep, then taking light into consideration is definitely something I would advise. And I know that I'm pretty sensitive to light. So when I travel and I know that I don't have dark rooms, um, I will travel with an eye mask like a sleep mask, for sure. It's one of my staple items. It makes such, such a huge difference. Um, so whenever you go somewhere and you don't know what the sleep conditions are, take a sleep mask. It's the cheapest, amazing thing in the world. Actually, I, I was going to ask you about sleep masks too, because the other reason why I brought up light was because with all of these devices that people are wearing, they, if you roll over something, they, they light up. And then it's yeah. right in your face. And I'm like, is that not counterintuitive? Yeah, no, that, that, that can definitely wake you up. I'm not kidding. Like how many of us have woken up, woken up even with your phone on silent, not vibrating, but just a screen lighting up? Absolutely. So, like don't underestimate it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And, and the blue blocking glasses, I know that that is huge right now. I mean, is that something that you actually recommend people utilize? So yes and no. I do think that it can help, but I also really want to emphasize that it's not a get out of jail card for you to work late. 
you know, so it's a double-edged sword. So I have people who are like, oh, I've been working really late, but I've been wearing the glasses, so I'm all good. And it's like, well, that's not the point, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, yes, but they can really help, yeah. And there's been tons of studies, not tons, but there have been studies who's really backed up the research on blue light and how it works and how the glasses block them out. So it can definitely help, but you probably will be tired earlier. So it's also about listening to that. Yeah, that's a great point as well that I think a lot of people then try and kind of ignore that that aspect. Yeah, exactly. Of it. <laughs> but I still want to stay awake. So why do you use them then? You know, it's like a lot of it is common sense. <laughs> for sure, for sure. This is like so much of sleep that that we we have the common sense and we know how to properly <laughs> take care of our sleep. It just doesn't always we we again <laughs> it's sort of like pushing away that intuition a lot. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So what about, uh, since you mentioned traveling as well, I also wanted to ask you about that and, and how to sort of handle sleep while traveling. Mm. We're, we're totally out of routine and then we can also run into issues like jet lag as well. So mm -hmm. all, all the travel questions there. <laughs> so I've become really lazy with this question because I completely rely on an app <laughs> and it's called, it's actually developed by, we've become friends in the meantime. Um, and it's called Time Shifter. And it's basically an app where you will, uh, it, you will tell it when you fly out and when you land. And you will also tell it about, you know, any in-between stops. And it will basically tell you a few days in advance how to prepare. So it will tell you when to hit your eyes with light, when to avoid light, when to have caffeine, when to have melatonin if you want to. Really? When to nap, when not to nap. And it's fantastic. And oh my gosh, I'm so excited amazing. about this. And it's also helping you in advance of returning to really, you know, not be dead when you arrive, you know, so that you can go to work as quickly as possible. And it's been developed with, with uh, sleep doctors, with astronauts, and it's fantastic. I really like it. Obviously, you have to stick to it as much as you can, but I find if you are especially traveling for business and you need to be sharp, you do what the app tells you to do. And I tried it out for San Diego, which is nine hours difference. And um, I really was there for work. I was just there for four days and it was amazing. It really, really helped me really well. And especially also when I came back, um, because usually when I fly back, it's, it's more difficult. It's easier to sleep deprive yourself than to wake up earlier, usually. So it's easier if you travel west than to travel east. And then I went again. So that was in, hang on, that was in February. And then I traveled again to San Diego in March and I didn't prepare. <laughs> and oh boy, did I <laughs> suffer when I came back. It took me like a good week to re-acclimatize. I, I was really, really, really suffering. I had a, a lot of trouble. And a friend of mine went to Japan and she did it. And she just had like three days where she was a little bit tired, but nothing major. And she was back, you know, and it, she swears on it too. So it's a really great, great app time shifter. And I really shamelessly promote it because it makes my life so much easier. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll definitely make sure to, to reference that in the show notes. I'm excited to, to try that out, but I, I typically find that it's, I, I'm the same as you, that it's always on the way back that it seems so mm -hmm. much harder. I typically can get myself on on schedule very quickly when I land, even if it is a, a pretty significant time difference, but coming home, I just struggle always. <laughs> yeah. So it's so, so interesting. And, and I know the jet lag affects people differently, but um, I feel like exercising can make a really big difference, at least for me as well. If I, if I try and move my body in some way, either on the way there or on the way back um, upon landing, it seems to help a little bit, but I'm not sure. Uh, again, yeah. that, that can vary. Well, again, I think a lot of it has to do with light. Whenever you can use light to your advantage, do so. And very often when we exercise, it's outside. So inadvertently, you help your body in two different ways, right? So you're pumping it up, giving it a little bit of adrenaline, plus you hit it with light, maybe also some music. So all of these things can help for sure. Yeah. There's lots of different things, you know, that you, you can do, but yeah. That's, that's really fascinating about that app though. Um, the, I, I have to ask before I let you go about the sleep <laughs> button. <laughs> so is oh, no, don't do it. Bad or ugly? <laughs> do it. Don't do it. Just my, just that's my very simple answer. Don't do it. Um, so the button basically, 
Uh, when you wake up and you're still tired, so again, ideally you know how much time you need to sleep and you reverse engineer that you go to bed so that you wake up naturally. That's ideally what you do. If you don't, you get an alarm. Again, the word says it. The alarm yeah. clock gives you an alarm, which is going to flood you with cortisol. You're going to wake up. Your body is going to be a little bit shocked. And then you're going to have a crash. And that's why we feel groggy a lot of the time when we have an alarm clock waking us up. And that's when the snooze button is so tempting. But what happens is that very often you will fall back asleep and the first sleep cycle that's going to come is deep sleep. And then when you have to be ripped out of that again, it's going to make you feel even more tired. So it's really, really exhausting for your body. Um, it's exhausting for you. It's not going to make you feel better. So I usually really try, I really want to avoid the sleep news button as much as I can. It's very, it's, it's costing you a lot of energy already just before even starting your day. Mm, that's a good way of phrasing it, actually, that it's costing you energy. I think that that's a really important thing to remember because it is so tempting, especially when it's winter and it's cold and it's dark <laughs> and your bread is warm. <laughs> I get it. Like, I get it. But usually, and this is like, I'm not perfect for sure, especially <laughs> when it comes to sleep. I actually really don't do what I preach a lot of the time, but I sleep really well. But, um, the first thing that you really should do is work with light again. So either get an alarm clock that wakes you up, you know, with a rising light. That's great. I personally, I do do the thing that every guru is telling you not to do. I reach to my phone and I blast my eyes with blue light on purpose. That wakes me up, you know? So, you know, there's, in that case, I would say, okay, but then everyone is shouting that you shouldn't have your phone in your bedroom. I agree, but I'm not perfect, <laughs> you know, so, you know, but that's something that you could do or you just switch on the light and it's brutal, but it's going to help you a lot quicker to get up. It's funny. I've done, I've done all of those things on the days where I'm <laughs> super groggy. I will force myself. I do at least keep my phone on the very far side of the room. Sometimes I'll leave <laughs> elsewhere, but it's on the far side of the room. And if I, if I'm truly exhausted, I will get up and then just like stare at my phone for a minute. And yeah, that's, I literally can't do anything. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> so funny. And I do love the, I also have the alarm clock that, that mimics the sunrise and I, I love it. Mm, it I'm so it. much less groggy when I wake up to that as opposed to if I'm traveling and I can't, you know, pack up my entire alarm clock. It's, I know it's so much nicer. I know it's enormous. It's like big globe. <laughs> I know. And there's not many on the market, unfortunately. Like no. I think that's like anyone who is into Kickstarter, I'm really waiting for them to do like just a little display or something that's lighting up the room. Like there must be something doable that's sexier and not as big. I agree. I you agree. Know. I do love it though. It's so, it's so nice. I do too. I, I really, and my clients like it too. So I'm, I, I really like it. I'll, I'll link that up in the show notes as well mm -hmm. for anyone who, who wants to check it out. Oh my gosh, Christine, this has just been amazing. <laughs> Let us know where, where we can find you. And I believe that you also have a uh, training that you offer as well mm -hmm. to help people figure out their sleep. Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest thing is to go to sleeplikeaboss.com and you will find everything there. So you will find links to my social media and you will find the free training that you can sign up to, which is also, you know, you will get my newsletter afterwards, which is, I'm super lazy, basically just two sentences about what I talked about that week. I usually do a video every week where I talk about something related to sleep. So you can find that on my blog, which is also on my website. And then if you have any personal questions or if you want to get in touch with me directly and not the contact form, which is going to my assistant, then you can email me personally at christine at sleeplikeaboss.com. Awesome. Oh my gosh. And Christine, I just have one last question for you. If you could offer people one piece of advice on growing into the best possible version of themselves, what would it be? Catch yourself when you are limiting yourself due to somebody else's voice in your head. That's not actually yours and tell it to fuck off. <laughs> That's good advice. Yes, that is a, the best way to end. I love the answers that I get to that question because you guys, all of my guests just have the best answers. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my goodness. Christine, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your time. This has just been Amazing. I could, I could talk to you about sleep all day. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Emily. Christine absolutely packed this interview with so much great stuff. 
I hope that you have learned as much as I did and that you're going to be able to make some of these changes to sleep like a baby tonight. <laughs> might take a little bit of time, might have to work your way into a bit of a routine, but there is so much great stuff packed in here that I really hope that you can utilize that to start feeling your absolute best, start showing up as your best and get all of the amazing benefits that a great night of sleep has to offer. Talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Room to Grow podcast today. All show notes and references can be found over at roomtogrowpodcast.com. And can you do me one huge favor before you go though? If you can take a, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on social media, I would absolutely love to see who's listening and get to connect with you and thank you. And if you could leave a review on iTunes, that would go a long way and make such a huge difference. It really helps to get the word out there, get more amazing guests on the show and helps to get all of this information out to the world. Looking forward to growing with you.